right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of The Mix Zone, sponsored by IcarusFC.com. This is episode number 298, and with that number, we'll give a shout out to the first ever North Carolina Courage home game played in April 2017 in Cary, North Carolina. There were 6,298 fans at that game, and the Courage won their first ever home opener 1-0 over the Portland Thorns, thanks to a goal by Dabinia. And that was her very first goal for North Carolina. All right, three chats in this episode. First, I spoke with Jacob Cristobal of Sounder at Heart. We talked about O.L. Reign's performance at the Challenge Cup and took a look at uh, the club's recent transfers, trades, and loans. There's been so much uh, player activity the last couple of weeks, um, especially for that club. Then I spoke with James O'Connor, the executive VP of Racing Louisville FC, the next expansion team for NWSL. We talked about the city itself, how we got involved with the club, their NWSL coaching search, and their plans this fall as the club prepares to build its first ever NWSL roster. Finally, I caught up with Melissa Hernandez, a football aficionado who offers great English language insight on Twitter on the Mexican Women's League, aka Liga Femenil, and more specifically on her favorite team, Chivas. So no Jen's Blainer in this episode, but three great chats. And be sure you also check out KeeperNotes.com. I'm putting up a lot of 35th anniversary coverage for the U.S. Women's National Team as August 18th, 35 years ago, was their first ever game. August 21st, their first ever goal. Right, Jen Cooper, the keeper, here with Jacob Cristobal from Sounder at Heart or Ride of the Valkyries or whatever you want to call the Pacific Northwest based in Upper Washington State. I want to say Seattle, right, Jacob? Yes. But, you know, it's it's more Rain FC, OL Rain, RGN, whatever we want to call it now. Um, the Greater Puget Sound Area. Yeah. I like that. that. I like that. The greater Puget Sound area. Too bad that's not a good acronym by itself. The pig side. Yeah, it's too many syllables. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to talk to you first about your thoughts on the Reigns performance in the Challenge Cup, since we haven't had a chance to talk about that. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. kind of get up to date on the various player moves that we've seen in a frenzy these last couple of weeks. Um, some transfers, some loans, some trades. First, let, let's talk NWSL Challenge Cup. Um, it, it seemed like a pretty trying two-plus weeks for Fareed Benstidi. I really felt for him and and loved seeing his his joy when Balser scored that goal of just like, yes, something I'm doing is working. I can mm-hmm. do this. I can, you know this will work, you know, but right. I, I said this on air that of all the, the coaches, like he had absolutely no warm up, right? Like yeah. sure. Craig Harrington's a new coach, but he spent the last two years in the league. Fareed got no exhibition game, no scrimmage against someone other than his own players. So it's just like, all right, we're just going into this. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I was pleased that they got some results towards the end and I think we could all see 
where they're going to go. But but tell me what what you were seeing during that group stage before the quarterfinal, but just that the the progress of the group stage. The progress of the group stage for OL Reina the Challenge Cup was uh, quite an interesting um, journey because. Uh, from what we had uh, gathered based on just a uh, small uh, press conference, conferences with Farid and some of the players about adjusting to his uh, style of play, what uh, the vision he has for the team and what they can do. There were at times during the group stages where it was so possession heavy that like you kind of wonder would they even going to cross midfield and that would be considered like a win for <laughs> for a lot of people. So it's, uh, so it, it was at times I would say uh, anti-soccer, but um, and I can see why uh, NWCL fans that were watching these uh, matches might have been frustrated. It's like, come on, do something uh, with the ball, and they weren't doing it. Um, but like you'd said, you know, with Fareed Densidi being so new to NWSL that there was just no warm up for him. Yes, the team had managed to go out to Montana and basically form their own pre challenge cup uh, bubble and just have their training camp there so everybody can get to know each other on and off the field, get to know their personalities, get to know the coaches, mesh that way. And everything that I've heard from the players is that it was fantastic. It was like the best, making the best out of obviously was just a crazy, uh, surreal, and insane situation for everybody in the world with the pandemic, but it really reinforced uh, their team chemistry, their team unity, um, and I think at least in that way, making the uh, the most out of a, you know, unusual situation. So I think uh, in the case of how they performed in the group stages and then into the quarterfinal match, um, you know, like some of my colleagues and I were talking about, like, what sort of great evaluation would you give O.L. Reign at the Challenge Cup? And honestly, I think it's fair to say to give him an incomplete based on... You know, <laughs> I like that. It's like, it's like it's not to be uh, mean or, you know, say that there's... Uh, you just can't tell uh, and have, like, um, uncertainty about what they can do. But I think incomplete is, like, the most uh, honest way of just... Assessing how they did, while you saw bits and pieces like what it could be under Fareed's uh, coaching, provided if you know they get to have more competitive games to actually test, you know what his vision is for the you know for the team, te- and have it tested in a game like environment. Um, I did in one of his press conferences. It was actually after when they lost to Houston Dash. Um, or it might have been like the, a few days afterwards after that loss, he was talking about how he's not used to losing because, you know, he'd come from coaching Leon for six years straight and just basically won everything, uh, you know, year after year. And of course, uh, we in the NWCL community were like, well, <laughs> uh, welcome to the NWCL. Get used to uh, losing some more. And, you know, it's, it's always, it's always going to be the case for any first-year coach coming into the NWSL unless, you know, if you're not uh, an assistant coach that's been, you know, studying, you know, season after season under a head coach where you know what the game is like. Um, and I think that's something that I remember asking Mark Skinner of Orlando Pride after his first um match uh when they came out to cheney stadium was like you know 
all the things that you've watched in terms of NWCL uh, game footage, all the things that, you know, your players, your assistants have taught, you have told you about what to expect. Like you can be prepared with all of that, but until you're actually, you know, standing in, you know, on the sidelines and experiencing experiencing it and having to think on the fly what to do, how to change it up. It's like, you know, you won't know until you actually experience it. And I think that's what is, a, you know, the, the case with Farid Bensidi is that, you know, he might have been prepared, you know, watch all this, but until he was standing in that technical area and watching an NWCL game happen right in front of his eyes and then he had to react and you know make decisions based on that um he just he, you know he's not gonna know and i think as far as a learning experience i think the challenge cup was a decent um sampler for him in terms of like what the end of we sell is uh gonna be like for him for years to come yeah, I think that's a really good point that um, maybe it, it's not the best performance at the Cup, but that's a great intro that's not the really long slog that Mark Skinner had to go through or, yeah. you know, other, other new coaches in their in their first year where he probably got so much feedback um, that'll be good news for him in just those two plus weeks. Right, you know, five games yeah. in what two, th- two to three weeks, um, and, and I, I feel like we saw a lot of good things, especially from some players who hadn't played in NWSL before, right? So, like um, Adrian Jordan, um, Alana mm-hmm. Cook, um, especially Nicole Momiki, right? Yep, Nicole you Momiki. So, so, who were who were the standout players for you um, on the rain during the cup? Uh, first and foremost, um, while she's not new to NWSL, I shout out to uh, the legendary Steph Cox for clearly she still has plenty left oh, in her tank yes. after oh, yes. you know the surprise. Hey, I'm coming out of retirement last season, maybe because they just needed a healthy body, considering how many people were injured for Rain FC last season. But it's clear that she still has plenty left in her tank, and she you know, was one of the standout performers of the Challenge Cup for OL Reign. Like you said, Nicole Momiki, obviously being one of the newer faces to the team and also the league in general, uh, she looked like she was able to adapt uh, fairly well, given the odd situation for her to kind of get herself acclimated into NWCL style of play. Um, Another uh, standout performance for me was uh, seeing Taylor Smith back out on the field you know, after missing all of last season with her ACL injury and the amount of minutes that she got to be out on the field, just get back into the groove of things. And, you know, she was pretty solid for most of the tournament for me. Uh, an honorable mention goes out to Sofia Puerto for me. Um, again, you know, she's not new to NWCL. She's an NWCL veteran, but obviously as one of the new faces with also a new coach and a new new everything to learn in terms of like how to mesh with this team, mesh with the coach. Uh, she looked like she was having um, a lot of fun out there when she was able to uh, step onto the field uh, after she recovered from her uh, hamstring injury that she got just before yeah. the challenge cup. And to see the return of Jess Fishluck, right? It had been yeah. more than a year since she had been able to suit up for the rain. So, so that was great. And I'm really glad that you brought up Steph Cox because um it's easy to forget, you know, as someone who retired after the 2015 final, that she just turned 34 this April. 
mm-hmm. right? So people, she's four years younger than Carly Lloyd. <laughs> You know, <laughs> she's younger than Ashlyn Harris. She's younger than Sauerbrunn. She's younger than Krieger. You know, so, so it's it's like, yeah, it's I'm I, I love that that she came back, right? So she, I mean, she's just barely a year older than, uh, not even a full year older than um, uh, Amy Rodriguez. And similar to Rodriguez, you know, she's come back after having two kids. So I really liked seeing her out there too, right? And took most of the corners. Um, for the rain um, also liked being able to see Bethany Balser, you know, in her second, I guess we'll say year instead of, instead of season. Um, and, and again, having that kind of shortened time period where it's like, okay, you're not going to necessarily hit the same sophomore wall that she would maybe if she were coming into another full season um Mm -hmm. and you know seeing that that moment of brilliance with that goal that late goal and and of course i i felt like we were seeing that that play evolve like it was coming and it was coming they kept trying to attack that way and it finally went through and i remember when they scored that faree didn't celebrate so much as like hug one of his assistant coaches with relief right yeah like yes yes this is this is this is working and so i feel like um we saw so many player moves with the rain part of that because they had ended 2019 with i think like 30 players under contract because of the injuries mm-hmm. and of course you have a new head coach you have a new majority ownership group you mm-hmm. have what we thought was going to be an Olympic year, which means, well, you want a pool of extra players, right? Um, And then the tournament, you have the ability to sign players on loan or short-term contracts. So there were some trialists that, you know, are announced right for the tournament that we wouldn't have known about before, you know, so like um, Michaela George, Madison Hammond, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm like, I, I, I would say I'm looking forward to the rain playing more than anybody else. And maybe Orlando, cause we didn't get to see Orlando just because I feel like we were just beginning to see the new version of, of the rain, obviously the OL rain. Um, but let's talk about some of the player moves we've seen um, or heard about these last couple of weeks. Of course, I, I think it kind of kicked off the, the movement season kicked off with the announcement of Jody Taylor uh, being transferred to Lyon in France. Mm-hmm. Of course, Rain here will retain her NWSL rights. Um, but what did you think of that move? I mean, it was, it was neat to see her be able to play in in the France Cup or the Coupe de France. Yeah, um, I'm happy for Jody that she was able she was able to uh, find a club where she can get some minutes. And in the case of Lyon, obviously with uh, Ada Heckerberg uh, injured for basically the rest of the year, they need another uh, attacking option. And with Jody, it's just you know she didn't really she didn't have a good Challenge Cup tournament. Uh, you know, let's let's not uh, sugarcoat it. And so it's it's there's only so many so much uh soccer you can get in under that you know two week uh two weeks that they were down at utah and um you know she wasn't effective in those uh two weeks uh so it's hopefully it's one of those where she's uh can get acclimated well at leon and get uh get a bit more playing time and be uh, a contributing factor for their champions league run and then um whatever uh minute she gets with their upcoming uh season down in France. 
Well, and I think for her and any other European players, there's a value to being based in Europe this fall because qualifying for the Women's yeah. Euro, which was supposed to be 2021, now it's going to be 2022, um, since most of Europe is in a, a decent state for travel and, and games, not necessarily with fans, but actually playing games, mm. that, you know, some women's Euro qualifiers are going to be played. And if those players were staying stateside, they would have a lot of travel issues, right? That they would maybe yeah. have to travel and then quarantine for two weeks or, or something like this. So I would think for Taylor, um, you know, it's like, hey, I, I want to try to keep playing for England. It's probably better if yeah. I'm nearby. Same for Jess Fishlock, um, you know, uh, loan to what, Reading? There's yeah, so right. many moves. I don't have them all stuck in my head. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so so it's like, hey, you know, I think that's her first time to play in actually the land of Great Britain in, in a long time, right? Because her last couple of loans were like Leon and, and Australia. I don't think she's played there, right, since NWSL started, maybe. Yeah, there was uh, a loan spell she did in uh, Glasgow City. I think that was for the 2014 season. It's been uh, a while. Yeah. And then she also did a, t- did a spell at uh, Frankfurt the following year in 2015. But yeah, right. uh, uh, before, yeah, it was, after that, it was then trips to uh, Melbourne City. Then in, after the 2018 season, she goes to Lyon. And then 2019, obviously, she... It suffers her ACL injury, so she doesn't go anywhere except for uh, a couple <laughs> stints down in Australia to do some rehab because you know she was gonna be like hell. She was gonna be sitting out twenty uh, twenty in terms of whatever sort of competition there was gonna be, uh, whatever games were gonna be played in twenty twenty. <laughs> right. Well, and of course, you know, elephant in the room, for lack of a better phrase, is the big trade that the rain executed. Um, with acquiring Rose Lavelle's rights mm-hmm. from the Washington Spirit, sending allocation money and also a, uh, a first-round draft pick to the Spirit. Uh, when I heard that trade, I I thought this is great for both clubs, and this is, uh, I think we're entering into an era of NWSL that we haven't seen before, where you're starting to get. Um, some serious transactions going on, right? They're mm-hmm. not desperate transactions. There's not someone injured and I have to replace them. Um, it's all the different angles of, you know, spirit going, hey, this player wants to leave and we can't control that because their contract yeah. is held by soccer. So let's get something for it. Mm-hmm. And the rain going, hey, here's an opportunity for us to acquire uh, the rights to a player who we know eventually will come back to NWSL, you know, yeah. so, so let's take that risk. But what were your thoughts when you heard the news? Uh, well, first off, when, when I first heard the news, it was uh, funny because that Sunday afternoon I was having uh, some internet connection problems that were like lasting more than like five minutes. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to, uh, shut down everything and go read for like an hour or so, and then oh, like an hour later, <laughs> an hour later, I see a bunch of notifications on my phone. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And I see the the uh, subject on the email it says, "Rain have acquired Roosevelt," and I'm going, "What?" <laughs> and then so I was, I, was just, I was catching up to that that way. So, um, but yeah, I was my initial reaction when I saw 
that's the subject on the emails. Like I was shocked because like, because that, you know, at the time we'd heard like the rumblings of Rose going to Manchester city along with Tim Mewis. And then, and just reading up as to what did OL rain send to Washington spirit. Yeah. I was with you. Like, okay, this makes a, a lot of sense for both sides. Like you said, Washington wants to get something in return for a player that they know uh, is, you know, on, on their way out. Um, and Rain are basically playing the long game of building out whatever uh, the team is under Fred Densidi's vision with obviously some resources uh, provided by uh, the OL, OL group uh, ownership um, above them. And then also playing into the long uh, game of, you know, all these expansion teams are going to be coming out. You know, teams are going to lose players to the expansion draft and, yeah, I totally understand why Rain would uh, play for the long uh, for the long game of saying, "Hey, maybe we, let's try and get the rights to Rosalvell, who, when she's on the field, is quite the impact player. She's a playmaker, and that's it's it fits with their whole with Rain's ethos of obviously trying to get younger, getting that average age uh, roster age down a little bit more to be on the younger side." And, you know, if they can get uh, Rose Lavelle suited up in an OL range shirt, let's say in 2021 or 2022, I mean, it's it's party time, really. (laughs) Well, let's also talk about some of the other players um, who've who've headed out on loan. Nicole Mamiki, who this was just her first uh, year with the rain, you know, picked up Mm -hmm. after the She Believes Cup. Um, you know, she's going on loan to Sweden. And so is Lauren Barnes, who mm-hmm. I think other than some time in Australia, I don't think Barnes has ever played uh, internationally. And then Canadian yep. Rebecca Quinn also heading off to Sweden. So I mean, for those for those loans, you know, what, what do you see those players getting out of that? I think just uh, some minutes for them to play because they've obviously worked themselves up into a condition of uh, with the Challenge Cup and their training camp in Montana that they want to keep on playing soccer somewhere. And I mean, let's let's be honest: the landscape of the United States as a whole is: are we really going to be in any sort of position to be playing any sort of soccer for the NWCL teams come September, October? It's a big I don't know. Um, obviously, the way how it's go how the response to the pandemic is going in some parts of the country. Yeah. We're not going to be doing anything uh, remotely fun like that for a while. Um, so I think that they're, you know, the players are just looking at any practice is like, we, you know, we need to play somewhere and if they could, if, uh, you know, Lauren Barnes, Nicole Miki, Rebecca Quinn, and other individual players are, are able to secure some loan spells where they can go to some places in Europe and just even for the rest of the, a year just to play, you know, a couple of minutes. That's it's a whole lot better than they uh, than the big roll of the dice as to what might you know work out here in the U.S. If everything goes according to plan and state governments allow them to get together and have you know closed door games. Yeah, and I think you know, as I mentioned before, with the the European players, or rather, rather the international players, like uh, you know Rebecca Quinn for Canada, Momiki for Japan. Um, in a way, it's even more important that they keep playing minutes, you know, so that whenever their national team does have games, um, that 
they've got a shot at, at it being called into those rosters. Um, well, just a last, last few questions about rain. Um, of course, I want to talk a little bit about the keepers because I feel like uh, we saw great performances in the challenge cup from both Michelle Betos and Casey Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, Betos, you know, making her first appearance, you know, since that uh, Achilles injury, what yep. late May, 2019 mm-hmm. um and, and and i thought it was great with this tournament setting that almost every club used more than one keeper right so it was good for keepers we don't always see getting minutes whether it was something they wanted to do or not i mean obviously portland we wouldn't have seen bixby or ekstrom if it weren't yeah. for some, some injuries whereas it was pretty clear with chicago that uh, Rory Dames intended for all three to get minutes, but what what were your thoughts on on Murphy and Betos? Uh, first, with Betos um, and how you'd mentioned earlier on about how great it was just to see Jess Richlock back on the field. Same thing about Michelle Betos. Um, in the in the times that you know I've been fortunate enough to talk to both Fishlock and Betos. Uh, after they both suffered their season-ending injuries last season, uh, it was clear to me, as much as I knew this, and other uh, Rain fans that knew this too, like those injuries were not going to define uh, those players. Like those were not going to be the the final chapters on on their careers. And it was no surprise to me at all that they had been, you know, very much, pretty much aggressive in terms of rehabbing and recovering. I remember there was a one interview we did with uh, Betos where she said she was actually a month ahead of schedule in terms of her rehab and recovery from her Achilles injury, and wow, for her to yeah for her her to then have uh, a stellar ninety minutes. I think it was against uh, Utah in a game where Balser scored the match winner. Um, have such a fantastic outing on that day and also just factoring into a few weeks prior to that you know unfortunately her father had passed away and so there was obviously there was plenty enough for her on her mind in terms of like coming back from you know a potentially career altering injury but then you know the weight of losing a loved one and the way she was able to just uh uh play and just command uh her back line and made those uh, saves that she did is like you never would have uh, couldn't have tell that she had suffered a career threatening injury like a torn Achilles. So it was really great to see that. And, you know, with regards to Murphy, I think she was making her steady, um, steady growth of just being more uh, acclaimed into selling with her team, figuring out, you know, getting a read on how NFL players attack the goal. And really it's just going to be another fun thing for Fariban CD to decide who is going to be his uh, starting goalkeeper. Cause he really has two starting goalkeepers and Beto's and are, are, are starter uh, capable. And, you know, it's going to be one of those things that um, Fareed and Bill Prem are probably going to, hopefully they don't have to think too much about it in terms of they're going to protect both come expansion draft time. But, you know, those are, you know, if you're an expansion team that wants us that needs a starting caliber keeper, it's like, you know, you could look at somebody like oh, all rain, but it from what I would assume of Bill Primor, it's like it's gonna come with the heavy price. 
<laughs> yeah, and we can't even really get into expansion draft discussions because yeah. we haven't seen the rules yet, and and now we're hearing the rumor that Sacramento could come in as early as as next year, which mean which would mean a double expansion draft, which mm-hmm. we've never seen in NWSL. It did happen once in WS, so but it's like uh, I think it's funny, you know, we had that long stretch without soccer. We all finally got the Challenge Cup, and it was like more, 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 and then it ends, and you're like, "Oh, there's no soccer!" And now our minds have just been completely blown by the constant stream of news. Which, I mean, uh, let's be frank, I'm uh, none of it's bad, right? I, I know some yeah. some fans panic. What does this mean? It's like, now nah, this is all normal business soccer stuff you know it's like it's unclear if anything can be played here before next spring Mm -hmm. these players need minutes you know all of the loans end at the end of the year right um and then the transfers like we've talked about rose we've talked to reference sam mewis but it's like hey we've seen it happen before you know um Chelsea, uh, Chelsea got to see Crystal Dunn for a season, right? You know, yeah. and and back in the day, you know, we had Kristen Press, um, Whitney Engen, Megan Klingerberg, you know, playing in Champions League. So it's it's like it's just an evolution of the game. But there's just been so much, right? And it and it's kind of hard to keep up with. So I'm looking forward to you know whenever whenever there's some kind of announcement from the league of, okay, this is our plan for the rest of the fall, that maybe yeah. we can have an agreed upon moratorium of any news for three days. Right. So we can all just go like, like sit in a hot tub or a sauna or a meditation room somewhere and just absorb everything. But that's, that, that's yeah. my plan. I don't know. I don't know what would be the best way for you to absorb all of this constant stream of info, but uh, I can't imagine what it was like to get the surprise, you know, after you're like, I've turned my phone off and then you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. It, it was, it was, yeah. It was, it was a shock. I'll be a pleasant shock, but it was, just, it was just funny. It's like, of course I pick one, you know, I picked uh, uh, the one time to like be unplugged and just read for an hour. Then, <laughs> then all of this stuff uh, happens, and uh, here we are today. Of course. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about the Challenge Cup and specifically the rain and and all the movements. And keep up your good work, at Sounder at Heart. Thank you, Jen. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with James O'Connor from Louisville City FC, or in other words, Racing Louisville FC. James, uh, thanks for joining me today, and uh, I can't wait to hear a lot more about Louisville from you. Yeah, no, good afternoon, and thanks for for having me on. So talk about uh, how you, as an Irishman, uh, one ended up in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, and and then we'll talk about uh, how Louisville uh, came to have a men's team and and now a women's team. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we ended up here. I was playing for Orlando City at the time, and um, obviously the franchise was moving. Um, USL franchise was moving to to Louisville, um, so for me then it was an opportunity to come and be the head coach on the on the men's team. Um, so we we launched that 2015 was the first year for the men's team and um, had some success and then I personally went back to Orlando to coach in the MLS um, and then 
whilst I was there, the club obviously made some some great strides. Were able to um, to get an NWSL franchise. Had some plans for a new training centre and for an academy. And I obviously left Orlando City. Um, and then I sat down with um, with the ownership and, and Brad Estes and, and John Neese and. I uh, was really excited by what they had to say as regards their plans. Obviously, having worked with um, with John and Brad previously in the club, it was um, it was something that was pretty easy for me because I know when they commit to something, how strong their commitment is. Um, so, the excitement really for me to be able to uh, to help with the the NWSL program, the academy program, and then ultimately the uh, the training centre, I think, has been a fantastic uh, role for me to be in, a new experience for me to be able to um, to work with the guys and to um, to try to launch all those programs. Well, and it seems like Louisville has a lot of great pieces in place. Um, the Lynn Family Stadium, you know, having a venue like that of you know the ideal size for NWSL also having, you know, a men's team that's not very old, but has already seen some, some success, you know, in, in, in USL. Um, so, you know, what has the club done with its existing uh, structure? You know, like, you know, there's already a fan base, right. For the men's team, there's already um, an identity you know, so so what's the thought on building on top of that as, you know, a, a women's team becomes a reality for Louisville? Well, I think one of the things that the, the club takes great pride in is the ability to make sure everything is equal. Um, so for us, when we look at the, the stadium, it's fantastic. There's a $75 million stadium that both the men and women will be able to compete in. Um, I think when we look at the training centre again, both locker rooms, everything is is equal, same size. Um, you know, everything is fully um, parallel um, throughout the uh, the training centre, whether it's training fields or you know locker room or gymnasium. Um, so I think that's something that we take great pride in. Um, I think when we look at the the ambition of the the ownership to be able to have. Uh, you know, there's four turf fields, three grass fields, um, 31,000 square foot building. So for an NWSL player that really wants to develop and get better, there's honestly no better place than, than Louisville to be able to come and achieve that. I think when we look at the, to your point, the stadium is a perfect size. There's um, just over 15,000 people can can get packed into the stadium. You have an incredible training centre. Um, you've got really passionate support. We've already sold uh, in excess of, of 3,000 season ticket deposits. Um, so Great. I think when, yeah, when you look at where the club is headed and the direction it's in with the, the leadership from an ownership capacity, I think um, our hope obviously is that any aspiring NWSL player that wants to um, to achieve things and wants to to get better, that they they certainly consider Louisville very high up on the uh, on their list. And so, last week was the big announcement that you guys hired Christy Hawley, who used to coach at Sky Blue, also scouted for the Osmonds national team last year as the first head coach. So I'm sure the two of you already have a lot of plans for you know, what's going to happen for the next several months as you look forward to the expansion draft and a college draft and another player acquisition? 
Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was nice to be able to um, to bring the search to a conclusion. Um, it had gone on for for many many months. Um, interviewed load of candidates. Um, you know, men, women, international. Um, load of various different backgrounds. So, I think for us it was nice to be able to to draw to a close. Um, there was two candidates that really sort of stood out. Um, we spent you know the guts of. I'd say nearly a month of, of going through the, the final process with both of those individuals, one um, obviously Christy and another female candidate. So um, for us, it was something that we really sort of spent a lot of time analysing all the candidates because we, we wanted to make sure we got the right person. And I think for us, with you know, Christy's background in the league, but also his experience with the, the US underage teams, being in a system with the 17s and the 23s, and then obviously scouting so successfully for the um for the US women's national team it was a big differentiator for for us um so we're we're delighted to have Christy on board and now we we embark on the journey of trying to to build out um a squad um and I think when you look to your point we hopefully we'll have expansion in November and then collegiate draft in in January so there's it's a really exciting time for us as a club to be able to participate and obviously expansion draft, and then also the uh, the collegiate draft. So it'll be something new for us as a uh, as an organisation to have the excitement of uh, of expansion and then collegiate draft. Yeah, because when the the men's team came about, that was the Orlando City USL team just moving to Louisville. Yes. Well, yes, the franchise moved, correct. So Orlando went to yeah. MLS and then they um, they sold the franchise. There was a, a minority owner at the time in Orlando, Wayne Stobanel, who, um, who sadly passed, but he was the one that, that took the franchise from from Orlando. He was the one that, um, that brought it here initially to, to Louisville. So this will be the first time for the club to experience, like you said, something like like the expansion draft and and USL. I guess I hadn't even thought about that. Doesn't have a college draft, right? The, the, the college draft is connected to MLS and not USL. So it's very different processes. Um, how much um, chance have you have you had yet to scout internationally, or is that something that you were waiting to get the the coach on board before you? proceeded with so yeah big big part of we'll say our organization is making sure that the coach has a uh, has a massive say in recruitment i think that's something that we all agree on um, that the, the coach has to be heavily involved in the recruitment phase um, so you know for us it was a case of um i would say creating data um on potential players and then sitting with the uh, the coach and, and going through some of the uh the players that we've we've looked at, um, but obviously we want the, the coach to be heavily involved in that process. Obviously, with, with Christie's experience, he's brought um, a huge amount of um, of different players for us to be able to look at as well. Um, so, at the moment, we're just we're, we're sitting going through many different players from many different parts of the world, whether it's in the NWSL or um, internationally. So again, we're just trying to prepare ourselves as much as we possibly can for um, for the draft in November. And then locally, um, you know, we've, we've seen a few players who've like gone to Louisville 
uh, for college in NWSL or have some kind of Kentucky connection, um, you know, is there, are you keeping an eye out locally? Is there a thought to open tryouts or just, you know, finding players that have some Kentucky connection? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely we we want to have tryouts. That's something we've we've spoken um, a number of times about, and we we've got a fantastic relationship with uh, with Karen Karen Ferguson. Um, we honestly can't speak highly enough of of Karen and the job she's done at the university. She's um, she's got a phenomenal track record of developing players, and um, you know, for us, it's. Um, I would say a privilege to be able to to have such a great relationship with Karen and, and her staff. So, um, we've had some some great conversations with Karen, and we want to to build on that relationship. Um, and I think for us, then as we start to to plan out the year, you know, we need to to get a couple of dates and target some open tryouts. Obviously, the club as a whole has had a lot of success with with open tryouts. Previously, we've had players who've We've attended an open tryout and you know gone on and, and played in the MLS. So um, for us, it's it's a I would say a, a program that we want to uh, to run alongside um, wrestling and make sure that we get the, um, the give the opportunity to some of the players who maybe feel they haven't had a chance to be looked at. We definitely want to to give them that opportunity here in Louisville. And I'm assuming that that you watched all of the NWSL Challenge Cup, uh, you know. To, to be scouting and preparing for that I- expansion draft. Um, what was it like to watch those games knowing that, you know, you'll be, you'll be part of all of that next season? That was exciting. I mean, I was impressed with, um, you know, some of the players. There. I think there's some, some fantastic individual talent within the league. So I think for us trying to figure out what the expansion process will look like, I think the league are still trying to finalise exactly the, the parameters in which we will all work within um, in the expansion draft. But I think when you look at some of the individual talent, there was, uh, there was some, I would say, fantastic um games and some plastic individual performances for us to be able to uh, to monitor and track. And looking ahead to when you select players in the expansion draft and, and the college draft, or even, you know, talking to an international player that you're trying to sign, how would you describe Louisville, Kentucky to them uh, uh, as, yes, you, you want to come live here? Not just because there's great facilities but what would you tell them about louisville kentucky i mean i as as someone who's lived in houston my whole life and have dealt with um you know the dynamo and now the dash you know struggling with players like why would i want to be there i don't know anything about this city right there's there's nothing that that um is hugely attractive the way you can say you know seattle new york la you know um but I, I think we both know that there's so much about, you know, where we live that, that is attractive. So how, how do you sell Louisville to, uh, to a player that doesn't know anything about it? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, obviously, you know, living here, it's um, we we really enjoy living here. I mean, we've got a family myself, we've got two young children. And I think what's great about Louisville is the warmth of the people, you know, very, very friendly people and um, always helping each other, always happy to, to pitch in and support um, fantastic food. A lot of people don't realise there's, there's so many different um, individual restaurants um, here that 
I think there's a, a plethora of um, of different restaurants that you can actually go and um, many different types. That's, I would say, a huge underrated um, aspect of living here. Obviously, you've got Churchill Downs as well with the um, the racing. There's many beautiful lakes that um, the weekends and um, families will will go to uh, in the summer. Um, you know, there's 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 so many things I think from a recreational standpoint that people really enjoy um, about Louisville, and not too many people um, have been here on holidays. So I think when people do come, they uh, they're a little bit taken aback by how friendly people are and. Um, they're always impressed by the uh, the different food places that they can uh, they can go to. So um, many people when they come here love us and, and end up staying here for many years. And our hope is that the players will um, will enjoy living here. Will obviously really enjoy the facilities that they will be able to achieve their individual goals while it's bringing success to uh, to our organisation. And when you're looking at uh, international players, um, I mean, do, are you keeping an eye on on Irish internationals? I mean, have 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 you already thought about you know have you and and Christy Holly thought about hey how do we get Denise O'Sullivan to Louisville? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean Denise obviously is is had a, a great season and, and done phenomenally well for mm-hmm. for North Carolina, but there there are many players honestly that have have performed really well so. I think you, we're obviously aware of the you get four international slots. So with Christie's background, I think of not not only with Sky Blue, but working with the national team and then looking at at so many different national opponents that the US would face. I think he's been able to um, to create a huge list of players that we're working through and trying to see who is available. Um, you know, there's players within the NWL that obviously we. We quite like the look of there's many players internationally that um, we're, we're sifting through. So um, I think through the course of the next few weeks, we'll hopefully refine our list because there's there's many names with many different talents and players of many different positions and backgrounds that are on that list. So we need to um, we need to start to um, to trim that down and, and make sure that the the players fit a certain criteria that Christy wants, and make sure that the, there's a good cultural fit, and that they can um, provide the, uh, the quality that we all want to, to see on the field. And last last part of this puzzle, at, at least for now, um, you know, it was announced during the NWSL Challenge Cup that the the name was officially. Racing Louisville FC and the crest was unveiled and the colors, uh, you know, so racing will be the the only club, only professional club in the U.S. with lavender as their primary color. Um, talk about, uh, you know, how the, how the fans reacted to that. And, and you know, you mentioned 3000 season tickets holders already, but just other other responses, other feedback you've seen. Um, you know, in the last several weeks that kind of just, you know, ha- have shown how much putting a team in Louisville is a, is a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I have to compliment Brad and Mitch and the, the whole front office, and along with Matthew Wolf, they did a phenomenal job with the, the branding aspect. Uh, I think, um, 
you know, when you look at the involvement of the supporters, I know they met multiple times with um, with many of the supporters and the different supporters groups, and I think they were very active in, in making sure the supporters had a say in the um, in the brand and the the color scheme. And I think it's um, it's been incredibly uh, received, not just locally, but I think nationally. Um, I think when you look at um, how sharp the logo is and the, the branding exercise that the, the club embarked on, I think it's it's great credit to to um, to all the front office and to uh, to Matthew. He's done a, a phenomenal job because, as I say, there's there's a number of people that have um, have commented to me personally on, on the national level of just how how sharp and impressive the uh, the branding is. So um, I think again, it it sort of it shows people the intent from ourselves to. Um, go on and make sure that we are are successful on the pitch because I think the success off the field that we've had so far has been uh, has been great. Well, and I love that Louisville is the first team that actually uh, got to announce that it was joining the NWSL more than a year before it had to <laughs> play a game in NWSL. You know, our previous expansion has has been pretty short term. We've also had, you know, teams fold and move uh, pretty quickly. So it's it's been great to see the process unfold like this and, and see that, you know, you're able to have a very high quality brand that merchandise is available, you know, the summer before, you know, the, the team takes the field. Um, you know, I just, it's, it's something for those of us who have been following and then yourself for a long time, it's, it doesn't sound very exciting, but it feels very exciting, right? That, that, that expansions coming along. Um, and, and that we know that following Louisville, of course, will be LA and, you know, possibly a, a, another team, um, pretty soon um so last question for you and this is just this is more kind of a fun fantasy question so if if you could put uh an nwsl franchise anywhere in range of louisville to create like a great rivalry you know much like you have you know the classico in la or or you know an mls or seattle portland and nwsl you know what city around louisville would you put a team in who would be the natural rivalry city? Yeah, I think the the thing for us at the moment is, uh, I think, uh, I think it's a great question, but I think for us, we're, we're a little bit greedy at the moment. We want to to attract all the supporters from the surrounding areas. So <laughs> I think our nearest rival at the moment is, is Chicago. So, I mean, we hope, we already have, I think, uh, as I say, it was about four weeks ago, I think we have... Um, supporters already from 11 different states that have, have put deposits down um, for some of the season tickets. So I think where nice. we look at it, yeah, we're, we're in a pretty unique situation where we're, you know, a couple of hours to Indy, um, just over an hour and a half to Cincinnati, a um, few hours to, to St. Louis, a few hours to Nashville. So I think we, you know, selfishly, we want to attract as many supporters as we can from all of those areas to to come out and support us, and really seen through uh, you know through the, the the season ticket deposits, the the excitement not just locally but regionally that we've we've been able to generate. So, I think for certainly in the in the short term, we want to, to attract as many people as we can from all of those areas and uh, get them to come out and, and support us. So once they're all Louisville fans, then then we can allow one of those cities to have an NWSL team is what you're saying. 
Exactly. Well, <laughs> we're a little, a little bit greedy. We want to we want to capture the market first, and once we've done that, then we'll see where the league goes. But I, I think the league have done a great job as regards expansion, and um, you know, Lisa Baird has has come in, and I think we've all been really impressed with, with her leadership. So um, I think it's it's really exciting time to be involved in the league. I think when you look at the uh, the plans and the, the growth trajectory that the uh, the league is on, uh, I think it's um, it's a really exciting time for everyone connected with the league and everyone involved in it. Well, James, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today, and I, I really look forward to seeing what happens with the expansion draft and, and college draft, and seeing Louisville take the field next season. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Jim. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Melissa Hernandez, who is one of my favorite Mexican soccer aficionados to talk to. Um, She's got a great Twitter account, Chivas Femenil English, that uh, everyone should follow if they want to know more about Liga Femenil. Melissa, I mean, you must be so happy right now that there's soccer again, especially women's soccer again, uh, after a long lockdown for Liga Femenil. Yeah, absolutely. Five months and now the league's back. And what's even better, Chivas started their season with a 4-0 win. So super, <laughs> super happy. And also, Jen, I want to, to congratulate you because of the Dash winning the title. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah, I, I did follow like your, your coverage on Twitch. I, I watched the matches there, so it was great to, to hear you there. Well, and you know that must have been, that was very hard for me that semifinal and final it was surreal i'm like wait the team i followed all these years is actually in the semifinal and actually in the final and i have to like behave and not be a homer and yeah that that was surreal but that makes me think too melissa that uh someone had uh, had asked today in the the ask me anything on on reddit about um you know are there more plans for NWSL teams to play Mexican clubs, right? Because they were very excited about the match against Tigres last fall. And I said, yeah, Dash, we're planning to to host Tigres this spring. Uh, of course, all of that got thrown out the window. Um, but I know it's still something they would very much like to do. Um, and, and I'd love to see that rivalry developed between the two leagues like we've seen what's happened over the years and of course it took a while you know with MLS right where it's actually a good rivalry and not MLS teams going to Mexico and getting stomped on every summer you know um but I'd like to see more of that right and and then I think that's something that eventually builds up to us being able to have a CONCACAF Women's Champions League. But before we get ahead of ourselves, um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what you know about what, uh, you know, these players in Mexico did during those five months. I mean, how did they keep themselves safe? I mean, like, would were teams taking care of them or did they all just go home? You know, and, and what what were their options for training? Yeah, well, um, like a lot of the teams, they, they did like the long distance training. They were at their homes. The, the players went back to their houses and they and they were doing training via Zoom. Like some of the teams even like shared part of that on their social media. Wow. Um, like, yeah, and it was like different between teams. Like I know that 
for example, Chivas did was able to have a deal with a, a gym chain and they were able to to get like equipment to the players to their houses so that they could have like better better, better infrastructure to to do the, like their their training so yeah i mean basically everybody is trying to stay active because they didn't know if they were going to return or not and after the season was canceled a lot of them got like a, a break period uh-huh. And then they, they started to like go back to training and try to, to return again. But yeah, I mean, I think that for the most part, uh, teams were able to like really keep track of their players and keep them in shape. And you really did see uh, once the league returned that they, they were looking like really fit and we had really great matches. So you didn't see like a lot of rust that you would expect after five months out. Now, for this season, and this is a new season, it's not a continuation of the spring, the clausura. It's, it's, they canceled that season, didn't crown a champion. So this is the, you know, the fall 2020 set, fall 2020 season. Um, so are they, I mean, are the, are the players in quarantine themselves? Um, I, I, obviously, they're not doing a bubble like NBSL did the, for the tournament because they're all playing at their at their own venues but what's what's the overall plan to keep the players protected i'm assuming there's no fans at any venues yeah it's all closed doors and i mean there's not a bubble like you said but players are getting tested and the league just keeps posting their test results like publicly on their website so I mean, it's it's kind of up to players to like stay in, in in their houses and stuff. But so far, I mean, for the first week, there have been like uh, one or two cases per per team, and the only one that got really hit hard was Santos because they got six positive cases before the league started. So wow. the first two matches uh, were postponed, so they haven't really played yet. But other than that, it sounds like everyone's been staying healthy and they're getting the, the the regular tests so that you know they're doing what they can do to to protect the players and i would think as a player there's that motivation to not take any risks not not go oh i'm just gonna go you know hang out with friends or i'm gonna go do this where it's like no you know that if something happens then you don't get to play right like it's that that might be more motivating than for the rest of us <laughs> yeah i mean they, they were all like really looking forward to, to being back on the pitch and that also like gives them like that like you said that extra sense of responsibility of saying i need to do my part to make sure that we keep playing and so so you said santos had some games um that have to be rescheduled but so far this season has been able to proceed normally yes yeah i mean uh, there was only like the santos match that that wasn't played but for the most part everybody did their travel and then and everybody like it was just like a normal season except that there are no fans on the stands Gotcha. And and who were the the teams other than Chivas, of course, that you were um, you know, most excited about watching the season, the ones you think that, you know, could could get to the playoffs, the Liguilla and and win the whole season. Well, I think that we are going to see like uh more more parity in the league in terms of 
now that the rules have changed because uh, I don't know if you you remember we used to have like an age limit right so you couldn't have over 25 players those were restricted now the age limit's gone so now the only restrictions are that you cannot register under 15 players and with dual nationals just you can only have six which is what what the rule has always been and now that there's no age limit, I think that's going to help teams because now they can basically pick whatever players they want and they don't have to be like worrying, oh, but she's going to turn 26 and what am I going to do with that? So, yeah, I mean, I think that there was like a lot of movement in terms of, of drafting players. We did see a lot of players get caught. Um, there was like an estimated 100 players getting caught and this is like 20% of all players registered for the season. So that's a lot. But also like half of them were able to to relocate and find new teams. And I think that also shifted somewhat like the balance. For example, we have a team like Leon who has always been kind of there and and trying to get that, that Liguilla spot and getting to the top eight. And they haven't quite been able to, they've only qualified once, but they played yesterday and they had a very good 3-0 win against Tijuana in their new signings, which were like offensive signings. You have Lucero Cuevas, who is like a historic player who hadn't been at her best level recently, really firing up. And let's see if that signing works for Leon because I think that they, they could really be a really tough team to beat and maybe that those signings are going to help them take that, that that little extra step that they needed to get into Liguilla. Well, and I think it's um, just normal in a way for a pretty young league to see a lot of player movement the first few years as I think clubs figure out their identity and their style and, and you know, coaches uh, learn more and more about the player pool. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, the the rules slowly changing, um, you know, that the very first season of the, the league, you could only sign what, under 23 players, right? Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, yeah. The, the- yeah. So it's 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 nice to see that slowly changing. Um, and you mentioned the dual nationals. So at this point, you still can't play in the league unless you have some Mexican citizenship or connection, right? Like there's there's no foreign internationals yet, correct? Yeah, I mean, I know that a lot of people like shorthanded to Mexican-Americans, but we do have a Mexican-Argentinian player and a Mexican-Colombian player. So there are not that many cases, but we do see like different nationalities also playing in the league. And on the, the in terms of foreign players, uh, before the season started, the league director, Mariana Gutierrez, she did announce that it was expected for them to open up to foreign players on 2021. So that's also going to be like a really interesting thing to follow. Yeah, I remember talking to Chris Medina, uh, I guess that would be about two and a half years ago now and, and asking him when, when the Mexico U-20s were here in Texas and he, he said, oh, they have a 10-year plan for the league and that there's just slowly kind of an opening up each year. And it's, you know, it's great that, you know, they're, they're thinking long-term and slowly, you know, building those, those blocks. And it's great to hear too that the dual citizens aren't just Mexican-Americans, like you're saying, you know, Mexican-Colombian, Mexican-Argentinian, um, but obviously someone who would have 
um, access to Mexican citizenship or paperwork, you know, et, et, et cetera. Well, also tell me about, um, you know, so, you know, the big news on the men's side was was that Morelia, uh, Monarchus Morelia kind of said, all right, we're, we're getting out. We're not going to do this anymore. And and so did there was that was that a franchise that moved to Mazatlan or was it then the the federation said okay Mazatlan you can have a team but uh, but uh, like so explain that to me but also that it's great to see that this new club has started a women's team yeah so what happened is that basically um uh, a group of, of investors bought uh, Morelia as a spot, so to say, in the in the first division, and then they dissolved the the Morelia team and took it to Mazatlan with like a new identity, new crest, and everything. So that's basically what happened. And yeah, I mean, as far as the Mexican league goes, to be in the first division, you need to have a women's team. It's a it's a mandatory requirement. Yes, but we've seen some teams ask for extensions and say, look, I need six months so I can build my, my roster and my women's team. But Mazatlan went right for it and they did build like an interesting roster. They have, I think, around 30 players and 10 of their players are formerly from the from the Morelia team. So so they did take some of them. And also I think they took advantage of all the players being caught and they took a lot of other players that, that were without a team. I mean, you see some players from, from Rayadas or some players from Atletico San Luis. So players that have a lot of experience in the league. And I think that's really going to help them be more competitive right from the start. I just love the idea that you know, from the get-go, uh, Liga Femenil was dealing with 18 teams. I mean, there's there's generally, what, 20 in the men's league. But I remember the first season, I think there were two of the clubs that said, hey, we're financially <laughs> in really bad shape right now. So can we, like you said, get an extension on doing a women's club? But, you know, having 18 teams, you know, right? Like you think about NWSL that will have uh, team number 10 starting next year with Louisville and team number 11 with LA, right? And and here you've got the, the 18 teams. Um, so that that's a great player pool uh, for the Mexican national team, right? Um, of course, we haven't had any international soccer since since March, and you know Mexico did not qualify for the Olympics. But I would I would have to think that um, you know that there that, that Chris Cuellar is like thinking long term about you know eventually we'll have international soccer again and look at you know these eighteen teams worth of players that I can choose from. Yeah, absolutely. And also another thing that happened during the offseason was that we saw two players moving from the league to Europe. So yes. that was also like really great news. We had Ruby Soto from Chivas who signed with Villarreal, which is second division in Spain. And then we saw Estefania Fuentes who was formerly in America and then she was signed by Sassuolo in, in Italy. But also even those two transfers, they show you like in a way different realities of how women's football is still created in Mexico. Like for Ruby Soto, Chivas really went all out. They organized a great press conference and they, they made like a full event out of of sending Ruby to, to Europe. And with Estefania, we, we saw that she was caught from America 
And then she was like left without a team and trying to figure out her options. And she took it to, to herself to, to develop her own player portfolio and do her own videos and everything. And she was able to land uh, a contract in Europe. So, I mean, we saw like these two ways sometimes these things happen. Either you do it with the full backing from your club or you do it because, you know, it's kind of an adventure and you're looking at your options and, and it happens like that. And it's such a strange time right now that we can say there are more options for women players than there have ever been before. But at the same time, with the pandemic, uh, that's kind of cut some opportunities short and made travel in different directions problematic. You know, as much as you and I would would both love to see uh, Houston Dash play you know, a Liga Femenil team, we know it's probably not going to happen anytime soon because of, because <laughs> of travel purposes. Right. But the, the good thing is all this soccer that's happening in Mexico and, and we hope with more NWSL games this fall and, you know, the European leagues kicking off this fall is almost all of it is something we can watch online. Um, you know, I was excited to see that at least a little of the the Liga Femenil schedule is showing up on Fubo TV here in the U.S. It's basically picking up uh, a few of the TUDN broadcasts. Um, and you were telling me before we got started that uh, Telemundo's app is gonna have have games for free, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, Chivas signed a, a deal with Telemundo for the U.S. broadcast rights, and that included both the women's team and the youth squad. So it was great to see the women get included in the deal, and even better to see that they're actually going to do something with those rights. So we should be seeing all of Chivas' home games at the Telemundo app, which is going to be great for people in the States, because I know yet a lot of messages all the time. How can I watch over there in the in the US? And it's kind of been hard to, to find ways for to get people. And I think that's also going to attract a lot more attention to the league as well. Now, a, a big thing that NWSL did this summer was um, launch an online store that we really hadn't seen the league offer in about three years. So merchandise wise for Liga Femenil, are you seeing, um, you know, when you're in the store, are you seeing there's there's more for sale or are teams launching their own websites or is there, do you think, a burgeoning demand for what the teams are wearing or is it, it doesn't matter because it looks the same as the men's or are some of the teams like making a slightly different look? Does the women's team look a little bit different from the men's? No, actually, one of the good things this season is that we saw more teams get like their own exclusive jerseys, so they're not wearing the same as the men. For example, there's this Mexican brand, Charlie, which has been slowly taking over more teams in the league, and they did like redesigns for for their teams. They have Santos, um, Tijuana, and Atlas. And for some of those teams, it was like the first time they had an exclusive jersey for the women's team. And in Atlas's case, I think that it sold out pretty much immediately. And we see Puma also with Chivas and Rayadas delivering like their own exclusive jerseys, which has been going on for a while. And those also like have a lot of interest and demand. The only thing I, I haven't seen is those getting sold in the US, but we've been pressuring the Puma people to to notice that there's like a demand there. And I think that also having the Telemundo deal is going to make Chivas look more 
in terms of how their distribution and, and merchandise is going on in the States because they even launched an official English language account, which I didn't have. And they're also like doing some stuff with the women's team as well. Wow. So they're, they're thinking big picture, making sure they've got a, a distinct brand that people can buy it, that they, they recognize that there's, there's fans outside of, of Mexico. That, that's so great to hear. Um, and last thing for you, Melissa, are, is there any particular players who you think, uh, you know, will be breakout players this fall? Well, I mean, it it goes like from team to team. Like we saw, for example, Tigres didn't make like any moves, but they still have a Stephanie Mayor, who we only saw like for three matches. And I think that she's still going to be like that huge presence and playing with players like Vero Valle and Katy Martinez, it's going to help her a lot. And for Rayadas, we saw them bring in uh, Monica Flores, uh, who is like her, her sister is at the NWSL. Yeah, Sabrina, yeah. Uh-huh. And she came in from Europe to sign with Rayada, so I think she's also someone to, to, to be watching for. And for Chivas, their, their new signing, uh, Alicia Cervantes scored a brace on her debut, so that's something we definitely need to keep an eye on. And yeah, I mean, I think that all over there are like, interesting players, like I said, with Leon signing Lucero Cuevas and seeing if she can recover her best level and be like that incredible striker that she was, it's also going to be really great to see how, how it works out for her. Well, and like I said before, you must be just thrilled that there's there's live Mexican soccer again for you to watch, specifically women's soccer. Yeah, I mean, and also like the first week was really, really competitive. I mean, we saw... Uh, Rayadas and Tigres, who are like the powerhouses, have really, really tough games. Uh, Tigres against Toluca, which Toluca is also a very interesting team to watch because they've always developed a lot of young players. And as we're seeing those young players mature and develop, they're also going to become an even stronger team. So I think they're also someone to, to watch because they really brought the fight over to Tigres. Same with, with Puebla, who faced Rayadas. They had a, Rayadas had a 3-2 win, but it was like really tight. So we are seeing those kind of teams who may not have like these immediately recognizable big names really start to show up. And it's also part of the pro, the processes they have been living. I mean, we, we've seen Puebla improve a lot over the last year, and they're a team that works well with what they have in terms of their roster. Same with Toluca. They had like a very young base. They have uh, Natalia Mauleón, who was part of the U-17 squad that made the World Cup final. And she's definitely another player to watch because she's really young, but she's so talented and she's already the captain of her team. Well, and that's why I'm really looking forward to when we have international soccer again so we can see what the next version of of the Mexican national team looks like because I mean I feel like during World Cup qualifying and a little bit in Olympic qualifying but mostly World Cup qualifying that it seemed like the American view was well they have a league clearly it's not working 
but they weren't recognizing that the league was an under 23 league and the bulk of the players playing World Cup qualifying were not players who had come through that league, right? And now, you know, we're halfway through the next cycle, basically. Um, it's, it's hard to believe, but we're only two years away from what we know will be a, you know, CONCACAF Women's World Cup qualifying tournament. Um, and, you know, I would like to think that the Mexican team that we see in that tournament will be very, very different from what we saw in 2018. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that generational change is coming and we're going to keep seeing that U17, which is now the U20 squad, keep developing. And there's also the, the new U17 squad that we're going to have their qualifiers in Mexico. And we didn't get to see because of COVID. But yeah, I mean, I think that there's an interesting base of players and the and the league keeps bringing them over. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting few years in terms of seeing that that change and and those players really mature into into main roles in the in the senior team as well. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk and keep up the great work being, you know, the the football aficionado who is who's keeping us informed in English of what's going on in Mexican soccer. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jim. Right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First, it looks like there will be more expansion on the NWSL horizon. There have been a few reports from reliable soccer sources that Sacramento could join the league in 2021, maybe 2022. That city nearly came on board with the NWSL for 2020. And of course, it's still way too early to know the rules for a single expansion draft, let alone a double expansion draft. So Yeah, don't get too excited. Let's just wait and see what the official announcement is. Best plan of action for all you Woso addicts out there is to sign up for the official NWSL newsletter. Just go to nwslsoccer.com and a sign up should pop up. And also, I highly recommend subscribing to Equalizer Soccer and or The Athletic. Lots of great, thorough, well-connected coverage of the NWSL and other women's soccer in both of those outlets. Next, if you want to try to stay on top of all the player moves, I'm not going to say stay on top. I'm going to say try to stay on top of all the NWSL player moves. Make sure you create a bookmark for my Google Sheet link on keepernotes.com. I have the rosters by club. I try to keep them updated with details as often as I can. Um, I don't put rumors up there. I just wait until it's... So when something's on there, it means it's been officially announced. Uh, So if you go to keepernotes.com, click on Woso Nerd Links, you will see the link for NWSL rosters by club. Lots of other great resources there. And speaking of keepernotes.com, some coverage this week since it is the 35th anniversary of the first ever U.S. Women's National Team game. Also, first ever U.S. National Team goal. A couple stories up. More will be coming. And last for this week, how to watch the UEFA Women's Champions League. Well, thankfully, we've got some answers. Uh, Quarterfinals are this Friday and Saturday. Semifinals will be Tuesday, Wednesday. The final will be Sunday, August 30th. All of the games will be shown on CBS All Access in the U.S. 
Uh, if you're in a country that does not have a broadcast deal, or you can use the VPN, so it looks like you're in a country without a broadcast deal, you can watch for free on UEFA TV. That's UEFA.tv. I would also check out LiveSoccerTV.com to show other options because I know there's, um, uh, I think, BT Sport in the UK and a couple other European channels. Um, also, sounds like in each club's like home country on their own Facebook page, they'll be able to stream the game. So way more options than we thought there were going to be. Um, for Americans, I would highly recommend uh, you get that CBS All Access subscription. It's ridiculously cheap, $6 a month. Uh, even gives you, I think, a week free trial. Um, if you want to send a message to CBS that soccer fans are important and there's more of them out there than they realize, that's how you send the message by signing up. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode of The Mix Zone. Want to give a big shout out to sponsor Icarus FC, which is the best place to go if you're tired of your same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas. You can get a completely custom kit for your youth club or your Sunday league team or even a pro team. Just go to IcarusFC.com. Many thanks to everyone who's been listening and sending feedback um, or sharing this with friends. And of course, many Many, many thanks to Sean, my producer, and the beautiful Game Network for making this podcast possible. But now she's anybody's girl.